Tomorrow shall be my dancing day. Keep that in mind. Friends, there are so many things in these days that fill us with fear. We keep dealing with this haunting, stalking COVID virus and its variants. I frankly cannot even count the number of people that I know who are sick as a part of our church family and others, friends, neighbors, and more. And this happens lately after we have worked so hard and so long to be careful and cautious. The virus keeps creeping in and making us sick and causing mayhem in our society and disrupting our economy and death. This certainly generates fear, and it's legitimate. There's also, just a few days after the anniversary today, this is also the, just a few days after the anniversary of the attack on our capital, then there's genuine fear about our democracy in peril. On Wednesday of this past week, Jimmy Carter, our 39th president, wrote a piece for the New York Times entitled, I Fear for Our Democracy. This is what Carter writes. I now fear that we have fought so hard to it, what, that what we have fought so hard to achieve globally, the right to free, fair elections, unhindered by strongman politicians who seek nothing more than to grow their own power, has become dangerously fragile at home. And he concludes, after various appeals to common principles and reforming policies, with this. Our great nation now teeters on the brink of a widening abyss. Without immediate action, we're at a genuine risk of civil conflict and losing our precious democracy. Americans must set aside differences and work together before it's too late. There are other things that generate fear in our hearts and around our lives. Some of us have recently heard the word cancer as it applies to us or a family member. Or we've heard something equally disconcerting, perhaps like increasing dementia. Others of us battle fears from being immune compromised, especially in these days. Others face persistent fears about addiction or depression or fears about our children and our grandchildren. Fears surround us. Fears can debilitate us. Fears can paralyze us. Fears often bring out the very worst from us. Our lives as God's people are related to the trials and the tribulations of God's people that we read about in this big holy book, Holy Scripture. The people and the stories of Holy Scripture are sacred and they're important because these stories, these people help to form our very lives with the promises and the presence of God. The people, the stories of Scripture, intend to encourage us, not in fear, but in faith. Not in paralysis, but action and devotion as God's people. And we have a story today that I would label as one of my top five all-time passages in all of Holy Scripture, Isaiah 43. Before I get to the words, it's important to know more about the context, the situation 
for the people of this particular story in Isaiah 43. By the time we get to this particular story, God has been on a long journey with God's people. There have been lots of ups and downs. There have been lots of challenges and changes and uncertainties. God's people have evolved in lots of ways across many centuries from a small little family rooted in Abraham and Sarah to a large clan who were carried away as slaves in Egypt. These people emerged from slavery to wandering in the wilderness to settling in the land, and they faced threats as a new people in the land, and they battled enemies, and they have grown, and they've become unified, and they have a king, and they have a temple. And all of that happens before we get to Isaiah 43. And then by the time of this particular passage, there's been another major turmoil, and it's one of the most tumultuous events in all of this holy story, the story of the Bible. By the time we get to Isaiah 43, the year is around 540 B.C., and there's no more king, and there's no more temple, and the land promised by God has been overrun by a stronger kingdom, the Babylonians. So imagine the scene. The king has been sacked. The temple, a sign of God's presence and promise and care, it's no more. The people have no sense of what the future might hold because everything they hoped for and everything they depended on seemed to be gone. Worse than that, many of the people, God's beloved people, have actually been carried away carried away to Babylon, captives to a conquering power, exiled from everything they thought was solid and sacred. Psalm 137, another passage from this same era, gives a glimpse of how God's people feel in this particular day that we jump into this story. How are they doing? Well, Psalm 137 says this, they sat by the rivers of Babylon and they wept. So we may be dealing with lots of fears. We got COVID all around, stalking and haunting. We have worries about our democracy in peril. We have personal situations and we have complex circumstances that we might be facing, decisions that we need to make, climate change, more. But for God's people, this is not unfamiliar territory. As some might say, we have seen far worse situations and we know the way out. We know who gets us out. So we turn to Isaiah 43, aware of the dire straits in which these words were uttered by the prophet. People in crisis, people with declining hope, People with lots of discouragement. Listen, or maybe read along with me. The words are in the bulletin. Beginning 43, chapter 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you, walk, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
and through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for you. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you, and I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think this passage remains among my very favorite because it begins, thus says the Lord. You know, whenever you read those words or hear those words, I think it's important to pay attention. Thus says the Lord. And then twice in this short passage, we have that all-important imperative. Do not fear. Do not fear. Lots of times in Scripture, as I have said before, in fact, 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year, we get this imperative. Do not fear. In many of those scenarios, the word comes to an individual. You may recall in the recent weeks that we heard this phrase in another passage on another Sunday just before Christmas, The message was to Zechariah, the priest, whose wife Elizabeth had been barren, but she would have a child, John, Jesus' cousin. And then it was the message to the young maiden Mary, do not fear, when she learned that she was with child, the Messiah. It's the message to Joseph in a dream in Matthew chapter 1 that his wife would bear a son. And his name would be Jesus because he would save the people from their sins. And it's what the angel told the shepherds in the field when they heard the good news of great joy for all people and they didn't know what to make of it. These are beautiful and important messages, but they are specific words to specific people in specific moments. This message, spoken by the prophet Isaiah, is not to a person, it's to a people. A people in crisis. It's an overarching message that intends to comfort and encourage a people in their most dire and worrisome straits. Isn't that what we all long to hear? What we need to hear with all that we're facing? Imperatives like do not fear only make sense if there's some grounding for the words, if there's a reason to believe this. Imperatives only make sense if they're backed up with some foundation, some sustenance. If we're going to let go of fear, then what do we do? Well, we have to know something else is true. We have to lean into something else. We have to depend on something else. If we're going to move away from fear and have faith and have hope, there has to be something else going on. 
something else to be true, something else to shape our lives. And the prophet Isaiah has been dishing this news out for several chapters, actually, pouring new truths all over God's people to change their frame of mind, to increase their hope, to give them sight, to see in a different way, to give them light, to move forward. The prophet, ever since chapter 40, keeps speaking about God and what God is doing and what's true for God's people because they're God's people and God is God and God is always at work. Here's the framework, the groundwork for the imperative not to fear. Here's the foundation, the reason for the people not to be overwhelmed. No matter what life looks like, Isaiah says, thus says the Lord. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. Redeemed is an interesting verb. To be redeemed is to be recovered or rescued by settling an obligation. It's to be set free. An intervention is taking place to assure the well-being of another. This is God's promise. I have redeemed you. You. You and you and you and you and you and me and all of us. A people. God's people. This is what God says. I have called you and you and you and you and you and you all by name. You're mine, my people, God says. Again, this is all of us, and it still applies to all of us. Known, loved, held by God forever, the promise. And the images keep coming, echoing this same promising message of hope and life to the people in crisis. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. This is familiar image for God's people, by the way. Familiar memories come to mind for God's people who quickly recall God's saving acts. Hey, we didn't drown in the sea when the Egyptians were chasing us. We didn't get swallowed up by the floods. The memories are being drawn on here. We didn't die in the wilderness when we were complaining all the time. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. I'm the Lord your God, your Savior. All of this is the groundwork, the sustenance, the foundation for the imperative. Do not fear. Why be fearful when you have all this experience that God will never leave you? Why be fearful? Why even cry by the rivers of Babylon when you recall God and God's amazing ways God rescues? God makes a way when it looks like there is no way. God never deserts us. You're God's people. I'm your God. You're my people. It's forever. And the affirmations continue because you are precious in my sight and you are honored and I love you. Do not fear. I am with you. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Can tomorrow be our dancing day? That's what the choir sang. 
In recent days, the whole world has been saddened by the death of Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa. Here's another one of God's wonderful servants, beloved of God, whose life was also full of turmoil and challenge and change and extreme difficulty. Most of his life, he lived under apartheid rule in his homeland. And then Desmond Tutu showed the world there's no future without forgiveness. As he led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, an example of how to get beyond pain and oppression and injustice and get to a better place. And then he became a world leader for faith and for peace, and he faced cancer, and he had personal challenges. And yet Tutu's legacy is one of love and one of commitment. And he knew to whom he belonged, and he knew how to prioritize his life with joy and delight, especially in the face of despair and, and darkness. Can tomorrow be a dancing day? I think Tutu showed us something about that with fortitude and focus, even in the face of hatred and heartache. Some of you have seen that wonderful picture, a tribute to uh, Archbishop Tutu, dancing on stage in his full purple bishop regalia. And it's accompanied by this poem, which applies so well to this faithful servant, Desmond Tutu, but it applies to all of us. It says this, I sometimes forget that I was created for joy. My mind is too busy, my heart is too heavy for me to remember that I've been called to dance. The sacred dance of life I was created to smile, to love, to be lifted up and to lift others up. Oh, sacred one, untangle my feet from all that ensnares and free my soul that we might dance and that our dancing might be contagious. Fears may surround us. However, the Lord says, thus says the Lord. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. Thus says the Lord. You are precious in my sight. Thus says the Lord. You are honored and I love you. Thus says the Lord. And so we keep on. We keep on in the face of stalking and haunting COVID. We keep on in the face of lots of other perils and worries. We keep on seeking to trust God and serve God with our lives. No matter what challenges come our way, no matter what uncertainty. We keep on doing our best. We keep on doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God. Thus says the Lord. Friends, God frees us from fear. God frees us from being ensnared and all that drags us down. And God keeps calling us to important work toward peace and justice and hope for ourselves and our community and our commonwealth and the whole world. God keeps calling forth the best from us. Tomorrow, maybe, will be our dancing day. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, you love us well. You give us life. You never leave us. You keep overwhelming us with your steadfast faithfulness. May we be moved afresh to love and serve you with all that we have and all that we can offer. And may our world move closer and closer to your promised reign of joy and justice for all people everywhere. Amen.